Well, I am so excited to be able to jump into the Word of God with you today. Thanks for joining us here as we are just worshiping the Lord together as the body of Christ. You know, even from where you sit, it's good to know that you're a part of the family of God, isn't it? This year, God put a word on my heart for our church, and we've been talking about that word for the last several weeks, and the word is kingdom. I just couldn't get the thought of the kingdom of God out of my heart as we were moving into 2020. Now, the, the word everyone else was saying, it seemed, was vision. I mean, that's the obvious choice, right? 2020 vision. And everyone was talking about having a, a vision for this year. And, and I guess that, that makes sense. But it's funny how none of us saw this coming, did we? I mean, none of us expected when we launched into 2020 that we were going to be experiencing a lot of the things that we're experiencing right now. And certainly none of us knew that uh, this year would be so much about the kingdom and not the local church. You know, if I'm honest, I was thinking about it this week, and I think one of the reasons that we don't focus on the kingdom enough is because as believers, we are very focused on our local church. Who would have thought that in 2020, God would allow the doors of the church to be closed, and we would be forced into a situation where we have to learn how to be about the kingdom and not the local church. Well, I'm sure uh, you, like me, had no idea we'd be doing church this way in 2020. But let me just pour a little grace on the moment and acknowledge the fact that, that you and I are not all seeing, we're not all knowing, we have no way of, of knowing what is coming, and yet we serve a God who does. Every one of us, we've experienced uh, at some time in our life that feeling of having the wave of our expectation rising only to come crashing down against the rocks of reality. In fact, I think there's a word to describe that experience. It's life. <laughs> life has a way of letting us have our expectations go unmet. All of us have felt that time, uh, that experience time and time again in our life. But if, if you experience that in life, then it shouldn't surprise you to know that also the author of life is full of surprises. God's full of surprises. He doesn't do things the way that we would expect him to do them. He doesn't always operate the way that he think we think he should operate. In fact, I, I did an interesting study uh, this week of all the times in the New Testament where it says the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was doing. There's a lot, believe it or not. There's a lot of places where they didn't understand. In fact, I, I just want to share one of them with you because I want to talk about the kingdom potential that we have. But I want to start from this place of understanding that we don't always recognize the potential because we don't always know what God is up to. We don't know how things are going to play out. Here's one of those moments where the disciples just didn't understand. It says in Luke chapter 9, verse 44 and 45, Jesus said, listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Now, now, that seems pretty clear, doesn't it? But look at the next verse. But they did not understand what this meant. 
It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. They didn't understand what was going on. Now to us, sure, it makes sense. But I mean, hey, hindsight is 2020. I'm sure we're all familiar with that phrase. And some of us, we're so familiar with it, we would love to invert it. We'd love to say 2020 is hindsight because <laughs> you just want to move on and get past everything that you're dealing with. But they didn't have that perspective, and so they didn't understand. There's several other places in Scripture like that. Like, for example, the miracle of the loaves and the fish. After Jesus had multiplied the, the resources and fed the crowd, the Bible says the disciples didn't understand the message of the loaves. Uh, on the, the night of the Last Supper, Jesus went around and he washed the feet of all of his disciples. And, and Peter said, surely not I, Lord. You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing. And, and I've been there before. I've felt that way recently. I, I just don't understand, God, what you're doing. The truth is, I don't know if you even keep track of what day it is anymore with all of this quarantine, but let me tell you what day it is. Today is Palm Sunday, and that's a significant day on the Christian calendar. It means something to us, but can I tell you, it doesn't mean what they thought it was going to mean when they celebrated it in the Bible. The story's in John chapter 12, and John tells us what happened on Palm Sunday, as Jesus was making his way into the city of Jerusalem. He's riding in on a donkey's colt. There are people that are taking their coats and they're throwing them uh, on the ground for him to come across. There's others who are cutting down branches from trees and they're, they're waving the palm branches. They're laying them in the streets. The people are singing this song, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're singing Hosanna, which just means save now. And, and this, this incredible moment is, is happening on Palm Sunday, the day that we're celebrating today. But in the middle of his commentary, John writes this little, almost like a footnote. He just gives us a little word in the middle of John 12. And, and it's right there in verse 16. He says, at this... At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. In other words, John just pauses in the story of the uh, triumphal entry and he says, we didn't have a clue what was going on. In other words, John is saying, hindsight is 2020. And he admits that in the moment, we weren't really able to put all the pieces together, but it was only later that we realized what was happening in that moment, that, that this experience was actually a fulfillment of prophecies about Jesus hundreds of years before. In Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, Zechariah said, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king, he comes to you, righteous and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's not like they didn't have expectations. I mean, they had expectations. Their expectations were high. They, they just didn't understand what Jesus was doing. See, much of what we read about Palm Sunday, it's not, it's not new. 
To us, it seems new because we don't have these traditions. But what they did that day was actually customary. What they did that day was not an impromptu parade. It wasn't just something that they you know, got emotional, excited, and, and they all began to celebrate. No, what happened in this moment was something that happened every year. Every year they would have this celebration. It goes all the way back to Leviticus chapter 23. In Leviticus, the Lord, through Moses, prescribes for the people how to celebrate as they bring in the crops and and, and gather the harvest. They're supposed to have a celebration, a festival to the Lord that lasts for seven days. It says in Leviticus 23, 40, on the first day, you are to take branches of luxuriant trees from palms, from willows, and other leafy trees and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate in the seventh month. This was the prescribed order of business for the Passover. And every year they celebrated the Passover. And as they would move towards Jerusalem, the songs that they would sing. The songbook that they sang out of was Psalms 113 to Psalms 118. They would sing those chapters and, and they were in chapter 18. They were singing this song when Jesus was coming in to the city. Psalm 118 verse 25 and 26 says, Hosanna, Hosanna, or Lord, save us. Lord, grant success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. But this Palm Sunday was special. And the reason it was extra special that year is because of the expectation. The expectation was so high because Jesus is in town. And people had heard about his teachings. They had heard about the miracles that he was doing. I mean, just a few days earlier, Jesus had actually raised a man named Lazarus from the dead after being in the grave for four days. Word was on the street. People were excited because they knew that this celebration and this psalm that they were singing was tied to messianic prophecy. And they thought that just maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the moment that our Messiah will come. See, the people of Israel were well acquainted with the story of Passover. They'd heard it all of their lives growing up. Passover was that moment when the children of Israel, their ancestors were in bondage in Egypt and God sent the death angel into the the country and, and every home that didn't have its doorpost smeared with the blood of a Paschal lamb. The death angel would come to that home and take the firstborn child's life. And God gave instructions through Moses and all the people put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of their house. And when the death angel came through, it was the Egyptians who had loss of life and God used that to deliver his people. They heard that same story over and over again and every year they celebrated Passover. And so the expectation was this, that this is the year. Our deliverer is coming Maybe this Jesus is the Messiah. And their expectation was that God was going to send a death angel for them. That God was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. That they were finally going to be delivered from their oppressors. But can I tell you, Jesus did not come to be the death angel. 
Jesus came to be the lamb. Expectation hits reality. The lamb, he came to not just set them free from a governmental system because Jesus understands that kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. But Jesus came to do far more than that. Jesus came to deliver humankind from the grasp of sin and guilt and shame. Jesus had a greater mission. Aren't you glad that we live on this side of the cross? I mean, think about it. As they came to Passover, as they came to Palm Sunday, the cross was before them. The cross was to be faced, to be endured. But the reality for us is we're on the other side. When we see the cross, we see victory. We see that death has been conquered. We see that that grace wins. They had expectations for that day. And the truth is, and we've all experienced this, Jesus, he doesn't always do what we expect him to. That's the truth. But the reality is, Jesus always exceeds our expectations. That's the good news today. He doesn't always do what you want. He, always, he doesn't always do it when you want. He doesn't do it how you want. But he always exceeds our expectations. And that, my friend, is why I'm telling you today that there is kingdom potential. There is kingdom potential, even in what might look uh, like limitation, even in what might feel like impossibility. There is kingdom potential, because even when God is not working the way you thought he was going to work, we know Romans 8.28 says that in all things, God works. He's working together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I'm going to say it again, friend. You have kingdom potential. Sometimes we, we watch the arrow of our expectation fly high and, and far above the target. And we feel like God missed the mark. But can I tell you in reality, friends, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are so far beyond our ways. We only feel like he missed it because we can't see far enough to know what he's aiming at. See, the truth is, God has a plan for your good. It's a plan of blessing. And God's plan of blessing is to the third and fourth generation. And sometimes we think he's missed it because we're not seeing far enough into the future. But I want to promise you, God has a good plan. And it's a plan that will exceed our expectations. So I want to take a few moments and and I just want to show you a couple people in God's word that encountered Jesus. And I want to show you these stories to underscore this simple fact that when you encounter Jesus, he will exceed your expectations. You know, the first story that I think of is, is one in Mark chapter 2. I, I love this story because it's about four friends who want to bring their friend to Jesus, but their friend is paralyzed. And so they grab the four corners of his mat and they bring him to the house where Jesus is. But guess what? They can't get in the house. Doesn't that sound familiar to where we're at right now? Somebody would love to bring a friend to Jesus, but hey, you can't get in the front door. Not this weekend. 
The doors are closed. And I love the persistence of these men because instead of just saying, well, that's unfortunate. I guess we'll have to wait until there's a better opportunity. No, the Bible says that they carried their friend up onto the roof of the house and they tore a hole in the roof and they lowered him down to the place where Jesus was. I just love that. When I read that story again this week, I thought, man, that's the church right now. That's the church. That's what we're doing. We're, we're saying, look, it would be great if we could just invite our friends to church, but we can't take them to church. What are we going to do? Just say, well, I guess we'll just have to wait. No, I love that what I'm seeing is the church has the spirit of these four friends that say, you know what? We're going to find another way. I, I can't invite you to church, but, but I'll share a message with you on Facebook. I'll give you a call. I'll FaceTime with you. We'll find a way. We're not going to just say, oh, well, there might be a better time. These four friends, they were just so compelled to get their friend to Jesus that they did whatever it took, and they tore the roof off, and they lowered him down to Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus saw their faith. Now, as I said a moment ago, the guy was paralyzed. That's why their hearts were so compelled to get him to Jesus because everybody knew that Jesus was healing the sick. He was doing miracles. But I want you to listen to what the Bible says when Jesus saw their faith. In Mark chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, When he saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I'm talking about Jesus exceeding our expectations. Everybody in the room knew what this man needed. He's a paralytic. And everybody else was waiting for Jesus to touch him and heal him and let him get up. But Jesus always exceeds our expectations. And Jesus always has a desire to meet your greatest need. I mean, what good would it do a man to have legs to run if he's running towards an eternity in hell? And Jesus looks at this man, and he doesn't see a guy that needs to be able to get up and walk and work and provide for his family. He looks at a guy, and he says, this man needs to have a relationship with God. And the only way that can happen is to have his sins forgiven. And so Jesus looks at the man, and he says, your sins are forgiven. See, God cares about what you care about. It's not that God, that Jesus didn't see the guy's needs. He saw the need. In fact, he's going to deal with the need. He's about to raise the guy up and heal him and tell him to take his mat and go home. But Jesus, as much as he cares about your need, and he does, it doesn't matter how big it is or how small it is. Listen, you can take it to God in prayer. The Bible says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. But as much as Jesus cares about all of your needs, that doesn't mean that Jesus has the same priority that you have about your needs. And that's what's happening in this story. Jesus' priority is to meet your greatest need. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Can I tell you, you can have confidence when you approach the throne of God. 
You can have confidence. You can have boldness. And you can have boldness knowing this, that even if you ask and your priorities aren't right, even if you ask and and you don't say it right or you don't verbalize it in the right way, God knows your greatest need. He's not listening for your eloquence. He's looking for your heart. He wants you to come with sincerity. You know, I love love the model that two of Jesus' close friends gave us for prayer. It was Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus who were good friends with Jesus. He used to come and stay at their house. And while Jesus was off ministering somewhere else, Mary uh, and Martha sent a message to him because their brother Lazarus had gotten sick. And and I, I want you to Look at this verse with me and see the way they called out to Jesus in a message. They sent a carrier with a message. It's in John chapter 11, verse 3. And it says this, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, I I know that's a short verse, but I'm going to tell you, that tells me a whole lot about prayer. Lord, the one you love is sick. End of message. Take it to him. Good enough. You know what I don't read there? I don't read any demands on Jesus. I I, I don't see Mary and Martha uh, telling Jesus what he needs to do. You know what this prayer tells me? It tells me that they have absolute faith and confidence in the fact that Jesus knows how to handle their situation. He knows what to do. Most of us, when we pray, I mean, let's be honest, we we have a whole lot of speculation about what God should do. Oftentimes when we pray, we actually have an explanation of how he should do it. And we want to tell God what he needs to do and how he needs to do it. But Mary and Martha only needed Jesus to know about the problem. The one you love is sick. And that was enough. And and it's the same for you. If you will pray with confidence, you can know that Jesus knows not only what you're going through, but he has the best solution to your problem. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. Jesus said, for the Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Can I just tell you, he knows what you need and he knows how to provide for that need. Now, now some people, they they would ask, well, if if Jesus knows what I need before I ask, why pray? Why why bother asking God? Listen, Jesus, he he doesn't need need you to, to give him your wisdom. He's got enough of that, but he does want your worship. Jesus doesn't need your perfection, but he does need your pursuit. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, without faith, It's impossible to please God. So Jesus is looking for you to draw near. Can I tell you God's will in this whole season of your life? Now, I can't tell you God's will about everything, but I can tell you with confidence about this one thing. God wants you to draw near to him in this season. God wants this to be a time where you draw near to him. James 4, 8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. What an incredible promise. Uh, On a side note, the next verse, the next part of that verse says, wash your hands. So it's got some good advice in it, but it it really does say that. You should read it. James 4, 8, come near to God and he'll come near to you. Let me tell you about another person quickly that encountered Jesus. 
it was Peter who later became the leader of the church in Luke chapter 5. It tells the story that Jesus, a crowd was pressing around him and he was trying to preach to the crowd. And, and so uh, he stepped into Peter's boat so that he could have a little bit of space and preach. And so he's preaching to the crowd and, and Peter's there, he's cleaning his nets. And then this conversation plays out after the sermon. Look at it with me in verse four of Luke five. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But catch this next part. But, he said, because you say so, I will let down the nets. I love that statement. Have you ever said that to your kids? Have you ever said, because I said so? when they, when they want to know why, 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 why? And you get tired of answering the questions, so what do you do? You just say, because I said so. And, and you do that because you know that sometimes it's enough to know that your father knows. Just because I said so. And, and, and I love this moment where, where Peter is saying, you know, this doesn't make sense. I mean, we've already tried fishing. We've already gone out at the most opportune time to catch fish, and we failed. And now I've taken the time to clean the nets, and I'm doing all of this, and I feel like I know best because, after all, I'm a fisherman, you're a carpenter. But nevertheless, because you say so, I will. And can I just encourage you to have that attitude towards God, to, to not get get caught up in the quagmire of, but this needs to happen and that needs to happen. And I tried that before and it didn't work and I've missed my moment. Just to pause all of that and recognize that sometimes your father knows better than you and you ought to just let this be your, ha- your attitude in your heart that says, because you say so, I will. In spite of past failures, just simply obey the voice of Jesus. And so they go back out and they fish. And lo and behold, obedience brings blessing. And they catch so many fish that the nets are about to break. And so they call to their friends in another boat and they come over and they help them and they haul in this incredible catch of fish. And then verse 8 says this, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful Man, you know why he did that? Because whenever you have a real revelation of Jesus, one of the first things to happen is you have a recognition of your own sinfulness. That's what happened with the the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, he said, I I saw the Lord, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And then what what happened next? He said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among unclean people. I mean, Isaiah was maybe the most righteous person in all the nation, but when he really saw the Lord, he recognized his own sinfulness. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people come in the doors of the church and their hearts are hard and their arms are folded and you could tell they don't want to be there, but all of a sudden they hear the people of God worshiping. They hear the word of God being preached and I've seen the most hard-hearted, calloused people all of a sudden their lip starts to tremble a little bit and they start wiping tears out of the corner of their eyes. What is it? It's the recognition of their own unworthiness. They're in awe of who Jesus is 
And they're very aware of who they are not. And all the masks come off. And all the facade is ripped away. And we recognize in that moment, Jesus sees me for who I really am. And here's the beauty of that story. Although Peter understood, Jesus sees me for who I really am, and I can't hide. And so his response is, Jesus, just just get away from me. I don't deserve to be in this boat with you right now. Look at how the conversation plays out in verse 10. It says, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Can I just say that the blessing of God is never intended to just stop with you? When God blesses you the way that he blessed them in that boat on that fishing expedition, he blessed them for a purpose. See, God wants to bless you so that he can use you. And that's what happened for Peter in that moment. Can I just say to you that if God's doing something great in your life, he's doing it because he wants to build faith in your life to believe for greater things. I believe it's true. The the best way to steward a miracle is to believe God for a bigger miracle. To just continue to let your faith grow and to trust in God. Right now, this season is a season for many of us to grow in our faith. You might not have expected what you're dealing with now, but you know what? You have no expectation for what you're going to deal with this fall. You, I mean, hindsight's 2020, but you don't know what the future holds, but you know who does? God. He knows. He knows not only what you're facing and what you're feeling and what's in front of you, He knows about your future. He knows what's coming next. And so that's why it's so critical in this moment that we allow our faith to be built, that we grow from grace to grace, from strength to strength, because God wants to do a greater thing through your life. He wants to even exceed your expectations. Let me tell you about one final person who had their expectations exceeded by Jesus, and it's in John chapter 11. The Bible says in verse 53, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Now, I started with the end of the story because I want you to understand who this group is and what their expectation was. This is the religious leaders led by Caiaphas, the high priest. They came to this conclusion that they were going to come up with a plan and a plot to take Jesus' life. That was their expectation. You back up a few verses and and you can see that there were many people who had heard the testimony of Lazarus being raised from the dead after being in the grave for four days. And people were coming to faith in Jesus. But some of the people that heard the story, they went to the religious leaders and they began to tell them what Jesus had done. Verse 47 says this, Then the chief priest and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and they'll take away both our temple and our nation. So they were concerned. They had an attitude of preservation. They didn't want the Roman government to come and take anything away from them. And so they said, we got to do something to stop this Jesus. But look at the next verse. Verse 49 says, then one of them named Caiaphas who was the high priest that year, he spoke up. 
He said, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Man, I'm telling you, he had no idea how true his words were. I mean, here's a guy, he's plotting to take the life of Jesus. And in this moment, he says, it's better for one person to die for the nation than for everyone to die. Now, the next verse explains to us how he came up with this incredible prophetic statement. One of the best prophecies about Jesus in all the New Testament. And this is coming from a guy who wants to kill him. But it says in the next verse, he did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. That was his expectation. But Jesus always exceeds our expectation. Next verse. It says, and not only for that nation, but also to bring them together, for all those that are scattered, children of God, to bring them together and to make them one. Aren't you thankful that Jesus exceeds our expectations. Yes, Caiaphas wanted to find a way to kill him. And yes, he found a way to kill him. But Jesus didn't just die for the people of the nation of Israel. Jesus died for you. He died for me. God loved the world so much that he sent his son to die on the cross so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. There's incredible potential in the kingdom. And the potential is that whosoever would believe in the Lord Jesus can be saved. I want to invite you today to, to put your faith and your confidence in Jesus. To rest on the potential that lies within him. See, it was a struggle. Even for these disciples, it was a struggle to believe that Jesus was doing a greater work. In fact, in, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has already conquered death on the cross. He rose from the grave. Some 40 days later, he, he's getting ready to ascend back up into heaven. And the Bible says after all that, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, then they gathered around him, the disciples, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? I mean, after everything that Jesus had done and everything that he had taught them, they were still, they were still looking at Palm Sunday the same way. They were still looking at Jesus coming to be the Lamb to be the sacrifice, to be the savior of the world. They were looking at it through the same lens. They still had a set of expectations that didn't line up with the reality of what he was doing. And they said, is now the time that you're going to do it? But Jesus exceeded their expectations. No, it wasn't time for him to restore this earthly kingdom to Israel. Instead, what Jesus did is he launched the church. He started this thing that you and I are a part of today. Not something that would be limited to the borders of a nation, but something that would go around the globe. And today, the kingdom of God is being built in your life and in my life. Why? Because Jesus exceeds our expectations. 
And there's somebody that's watching me right now, and your expectation is that, that Jesus could never save you, that you could never be included in this group. But I want to tell you, you can, because that's what Jesus came to establish. And at the end of this message, we're going to take some time right now, and, and we're going to pray. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that, that God would stretch your faith, Maybe today you're, you're here and, and you're, like, you're like that paralytic. You, you know what you need, or at least you think you do. But can I challenge you to, to, to stretch your faith beyond what you want? To trust that Jesus knows best what you need. Maybe every time you've ever prayed, you've come with a shopping list. And you've said, God, I want you to do this. God, I want you to do that. And you've never come to a moment of prayer and just listened. Maybe you've never taken a posture of prayer and said, Jesus, I want what you want for me. I want to challenge you to pray that way today. Maybe, maybe you need to move into this moment of prayer like Peter. And you need to just say, because you say so, I will. Maybe every time God speaks to you, you, you respond with your own ideas you kind of retaliate and, and, and respond back. Even listen to this message. You're hearing me say things, but there's a voice in your head that's saying, yeah, but, no, but, but you're the exception. But today, you just hear the Father saying, I said so. I said so. And would you respond today and say, Lord, because you're saying so, I will. And I don't know what it is you need to do, but the Lord will speak to you. I will turn from sin. I will repent. I will give my life to you. Maybe you're watching this service and you're like the high priest. You've actually been resisting the work that Jesus is doing. Can I encourage you today to just lay that down? Lay that down. Stop fighting against God's kingdom plan and purpose in your life. He wants to include you in it. Caiaphas was trying to kill the Lord, and yet God spoke prophetically through him. If God can use a guy like that, come on, what have you done that compares to someone that wants to kill Jesus? I'm telling you, friend, he wants to use you. He has a plan for your life. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to one more song before we end this broadcast. And I'm doing that because I want to give you this moment. I'm not asking you to do something later today. Right now, in this moment, while the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, I want to invite you to move into a time of prayer with us. Our online host is ready to pray with you. Maybe you want to just express right there in, in the chat section, to give a comment, give a prayer. Maybe you want to just literally type out your prayer so that others can just agree with you and come in agreement. Listen, that's what the church is for. The Bible says that we're called to bear one another's burdens. And when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ. So we're going to go into one more song. We're going to take these last few minutes. We're just going to be the church. We're going to pray for one another. If you need prayer, let us know. If you have a prayer, lift it up right now in the comment section. God bless you.